Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Reaching the Summit podcast. It's myself, Todd Buckingham, joined by Greg Steeman and Zach Dosh, as usual, in our third week of Summit League play, and we're starting to learn more and more. Welcome, gentlemen. Good evening, everybody. Yeah, good to be here. Um, interesting games this past weekend. There were, and, and you know, teams we had buried two weeks ago are starting to find their way, and 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 some teams that we thought we knew were good are we're starting to discover are really good and it's it's been a fun first few weeks. I wanted to start out with that uh, Kansas City Oral Roberts game, which might have been the the game of Summit League play so far. We had uh, Kansas City leading, I would say, 80% of the game, and up by as much as 12 in the second half. Oral Roberts fought back uh, to take a three-point lead. Then Shamari Allen hit a three. With two seconds left, that tied the game, and and then uh, we had the shot of the year so far from Max Asmus at half court. Did you guys get to catch any of that game, or uh, I'm sure you heard about it at least? I I did see bits and pieces, and I obviously saw the shot and, and um, watched that a few times. And and uh, well, he's amazing, and and I I don't know that you can defend it a whole lot better i think you have to go back prior to that and say whatever you do get the ball out of Asmus's hands you know if you got to run a second body at him and i'm not trying to be critical but it's probably i'll probably echo what you guys are going to say if there's one guy you're not going to let beat you it's going to be max Asmus. (laughs) he found a way yeah i mean kansas city chose to just kind of keep the ball in front of them um being there was only what about like two point something seconds left and just uh, try to, to get Max to hit a shot over the top of them. The problem, I mean, I, it, it may not be the worst strategy, but you can't play quite that soft. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? You want them I, to have to put the ball on the floor, ideally around their own free throw line. If they do that, then you almost can't even get to the free throw line or the, the half court line. I mean, everybody shoots half court shots at the end of shoot around, don't they? I mean, Greg used to do that, didn't you? Absolutely. Do you have you guys shoot half court shots? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like, yeah, I mean, so so you know, it. I, I'm surprised. You know, of course, I thought they should have tried to deny Max A. Smith and try to get Kareem Thompson to shoot it. You know, obviously hindsight's twenty twenty, but I mean, it's he's Micar Max, right? I mean, um, but yep. you know, it's it's it was just an incredible end to what was a really good game and. And we, we kind of, you know, not to sort of strain a shoulder here and pat ourselves on the back, but we were, we were talking about this game last week as like, hey, this is um, really shaping up to be a good game just because of just sort of the different styles and how Kansas City just sort of plays everybody tough. I mean, they're, they're the type of defense and the type of personnel that give Oral Roberts a, a difficult time, but it was just sort of a vintage Max A. Smith game. Uh, the type of game that we really haven't seen a whole lot this year, him just really putting his team on the back and, and going out and winning a game. And, I mean, that, that's, that was always Royal Roberts puncher's chance, you know, the, the, the opportunity for Max Asmus to go out and score 35 points. And I mean, his combination of being able to shoot the three. So everybody gets really jumpy on his threes. And then, you know, to be able to get a little up, fake and go right around him and then get to the rim and, and also draw fouls and shoot a ridiculous percentage from the free throw line just makes him very, very difficult to guard. He just, you know, he, he's just so comfortable out there, sees the whole floor and just makes the right decision every time down. And yeah, I don't know. 
I just, how could you ever feel good when the ball is in his hands? You know, it doesn't matter where he is. Yeah. Well, and he scored 30 points in the second half. Uh, yeah. They actually kind of shut him down in the first half. Yeah. And uh, just, boy, when he gets going. And, and I, I don't know that I want it to be lost on the fact that Kansas City's starting to show, at least to me, and I mean, you guys can disagree with me, they're a little bit for real. Like Shamari Allen, I don't know how they get what they do from Shamari Allen and Raquandis Mitchell, but both of them have been clutched time after time this season. Um, they're second and third in the conference in, in minutes played because of the youth behind them. And, and then you add all that length and defense with them. Kansas City is at least a top half of the league team. And, and they, you know, we do our power rankings. They'll come out later today with the, with the voters or tomorrow morning. They're, they're, they could be second right now in the power rankings. Yeah, they, I mean, they, 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 they check all the boxes, right? I mean, good guard play, and that means they're going to have efficient offense. Good defensively, good rebounding. You know, they really don't have um, – I don't want to say they don't have weaknesses, you know. Like, we're not going to get too carried away. But, I mean, you look at them versus a lot of these teams in the conference compared to a lot of these teams in the conference, and there's certainly a lot more flawed teams in this conference in Kansas City. Right. Yeah, well, and- I, I I agree. I mean, they they the one they'll defend, they'll get after you. I mean, even though it was it was a relatively decent scoring game, they th- that is their area of focus. They're really going to get after you and, and make things difficult with their length. And as when you talked about, both you guys address maturity on the perimeter, uh, good decisions, guys that are just rock solid. You know, they're dependable. You know, you can count on them for minutes. They're going to be on the floor. Then you can rotate the the less experienced players through and allow them to continue to grow. I uh, it's hard to argue that that they're they're uh, they, they've earned that you know kind of that designation at this point as a as certainly a top half team in the league. Yeah. Do we well, do, do we want to quickly touch on why Max had to hit that shot in the first place or like what you know the the, the whole Kansas City situation that sort of led to the score being tied? <laughs> the the seven point uh, Max Aismas swing off of two technicals and a three is that what you're talking about? Mm. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, cause I didn't see it. I, I, I were you watching it? I, I, didn't I see was that watching it. it. And the first yeah. technical was on, was it Andrews had a dunk and either said or stared at someone. I, to be honest, such so little happened. I was, I was, I was working out at the gym when it happened. So I, I was listening, but it was, I was also somewhat distracted, but I didn't see anything that was, uh, egregious and then even uh then coach uh menzies got a technical which i'm not he was being held back by a player so he maybe said something so you got four max free throws and then oral roberts got the ball and max hit a three so it went from a i think a six point kansas city lead to a one point oral roberts lead in in about 20 seconds wow yeah that's and I and I did not see that all play out either. And those are things where you, you know, that's can be the difference between a, uh, you know, a, a seed, you know, in the tournament it can be the difference yes. between you know where you finish and and things along those lines. And I'm not going to criticize Coach Menzies. He's forgotten more basketball than I'll ever know. But at the same time, uh, your players and your staff have to realize what's on the line. It, it's really flipping hard to win a game. It's really flipping hard to win a road game. And it's really, really hard to overcome something like that when you're just giving points away 
on the on the home court of the preseason conference favorite when you were actually close to being in control of that game. Well, and Greg, we've seen this a few times with players. Like you, I, you know, I would argue uh, on Andrews there there wasn't much. I, wh- mm-hmm. Whether you should call a technical or not, I I wouldn't have. But as players. It, there's just no point. You just took a six point lead on a, I think a steal and a dunk. Like it, it, you're just putting your team in such a bad position and you never know. Bowden Skunberg had one earlier this year and the it's momentum changes so much on those plays. And there's, you just never know what you're going to get from officials and why give them the opportunity. Well, of course me coming from the player situation, I'm saying why ever, why ever call that technical foul? Like players are chirping throughout the whole game and yeah. Yeah. O- officials are officials usually only get a part of the conversation, you know? Right. So chances are there was something before that and this and that and back and forth. And you know, it's fans can't hear it. What's the harm? Let, let them talk a little trash. I like it a little bit. It's, it's good. You know, make a play. You got to back it up. Talk a little trash. Away we go. It's a lot of fun. I think it's a lot of fun, but, um, especially at that time in the game, you know, geez, I, I, I promise everybody I'll only probably go on my rants about officiating this game. And then I'm going to make like a resolution to not talk about officiating anymore. Cause I, I, I hate talking about it, but at the same time, like, I don't know, it, it's unavoidable this week. Yeah. And it's, and it's also, it's been pointed out numerous times. It's a point of emphasis this year. And we've seen that. I mean, and, and they're told, and the officials are told, you know, listen, it's a point of emphasis. You you better adhere to it. If anybody's, st- I mean, and I think it's even gotten down to if anybody stares anybody down, if anybody shows the opposition <laughs> up, you tee them up right then and there. We want to stop that. Now, and to, to what we have to understand about the officials is guess what? The officials want to work postseason too. Not only do the teams want to make the postseason, so do the officials. And if they're not calling the stuff they're supposed to be calling, if they're not calling the stuff that, that uh, you know their their administrators have told them to, there's a point of emphasis. They're going to get dinged in their evaluations, and so I hate to jump too deep into it. I I always just go back and 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 and, and I know Zach, you'll think I'm boring, but it's you know what? Exert your energy celebrating with your teammates. Exert your energy, you know, uh, in, by the manner in which you play, and let your play do the talking. And and if you want to say something, say something to your teammates and, and, and celebrate with them, but don't run the risk of costing your team things. And, and to be honest with you, maybe the guys are still adjusting to what the points of emphasis are from the official standpoint, but I, I do think it can be avoided if you focus on, Hey, let, let, let's, let's, let's celebrate us rather than put a dig at them or what, rather than kind of, you know, get into the opposition. I don't know. That's just my approach, but the officials, if they're told it's a point of emphasis, they can't let it go and then and then risk them being evaluated properly either. So I'll speak out of both sides of my mouth here, uh, as <laughs> usual. As usual, right? Um, the one thing I'll say about, like, chirping on the court is a lot of times context is lost. You don't get the whole conversation. And a lot of times players, they're talking to get themselves going. They're not necessarily trying to put anybody else down. And so, like, that's, that's why it's so hard. Like, if you get in the business of trying to decipher trash talk, it's, I don't think you're going to have a whole lot of success. And so for that same reason, when you're talking, you're talking about like grading officials and calling things correctly. I think the, the bigger issue with a lot of these things that we're complaining about is I think there's a lot of 
poorly defined rules out there that put mm-hmm. officials in very difficult situations and just make the, make a, a very difficult job even harder. Um, th- this whole flopping for a technical thing, you know, we saw some of those uh, called at the beginning of the year and now we're like, like there was a blatant one in the South Dakota um, UND game with, with uh, I think only a couple minutes left. Cruz, Bear, I, it was about two minutes left. I think Cruz Bear Hunt just like blatantly flopped. And it, like, it's a textbook, the one that should have been called a technical, but they didn't call it technical. So part of me likes the fact that it wasn't called a technical because I don't like that rule in the first place. But the yeah. other part of me is like, well, you can't have a rule and then just choose when to not call it. So, yeah. and there's a lot of that out there. And, and so, I don't know. It's, I, I think that my issue lies with more how some of these rules are structured than with the officials actually able to call it because I, I can understand their hesitation sometimes. Well, and one other odd thing, especially Andrews is a freshman and and there's a lot of young players on Kansas City. It's got to be an adjustment. Like, I couldn't watch AAU basketball for long periods of time. Like, even the clips I watch, I can barely watch. Like, it's just, it's such a different basketball culture. And to come from that to where now we're trying to eliminate staring down your opponent in a game, I, I can't, that's quite an adjustment. I, it, it's gotta be uh, different for the players as well. Yeah. You just never want to put the, you never want to give the, the official the opportunity to blow the whistle. So that's kind of me coming full circle back to Greg's point. It's just like, you don't even want to give them a chance to screw it up. Right. right. So what, one thing I did want to mention on, on oral Roberts, also, I just looked up offensive and, and defensive efficiency ratings from Ken Palm and then a couple other places. Uh, in most metrics, Oral Roberts, not shockingly, is number one on the season in offensive rating. But in most metrics, they're number two or three in defensive rating in the conference. They're doing some of the things that we would hope. In fact, for per Ken Palm in conference only, they're number one in defense. They're doing the things that that we said if they if they can defend – they're going to be really tough to beat. And, and they're, they're doing that this season, at least yeah, for also, the metrics. Yeah. I mean, opponent point per game too. They're yeah. second in the conference. So number yeah. one in offense point per game, number two in defensive points per game. So no surprise to you, largest margin, largest average margin. So despite them, like they've, they've actually played a couple close games here with mm-hmm. Omaha and um, this last one against Kansas city, despite that still averaging a huge margin. So I mean, you're right there. You're starting to see it. Yeah. And it's just hard to, they, they've got great talent and, and they've got, they've added some pieces that, and that, that really, I, I won't, I won't say filled some voids, but really complemented who they already have. They're pretty darn, they're, they're, they're a darn good team. They're experienced. They've learned how to defend. I think they've improved, realized that that's what it takes to, to, to win on the road and, and actually find a way to, to fight your way through in these close games. So, I, yeah, they they continue to, in my opinion, uh, demonstrate that they've earned that mantle. And until someone's able to knock them off, uh, they're, they, they've, they're simply backing that up week in, week out. Yeah, it and it, it's interesting because I really do think it is the, the uh, defensive improvement that has made them so much better. When you get past Max, it's kind of a score by committee for, for uh, Oral Roberts. So it's it's not, you know, when you had Max and Kevin O'Banner a couple of years ago, and even last year, Isaac McBride, who is still their second leading scorer, he's at about 11 
this season. So it's really been a more of a balanced offensive attack uh, and really is the defense kind of carrying the water on the improvement for them. Mm-hmm. So another team that we, we maybe, well, not, I shouldn't say another team, a team we maybe had a little bit buried a few weeks ago and now uh, are starting to maybe think they, they have something special Here, is, are we starting to see the North Dakota state we hoped we were seeing at the beginning of the season? Well, they, you know, they've won three in a row and for gosh sakes, they didn't know what it was like to win two in a row. I mean, it, right. they've, they, they are starting to play with, with a much more of a sense of urgency. Um, I think you have to give a lot of credit to some of the development of their younger kids, Jakari White, Barry um, Wheeler Thomas. Uh, they both elevated their level of play. They both learned to take better care of the ball. They've both been kind of charged with some difficult defensive assignments at times. They've, they've both you know, found the, the ball in their hands and in, in, in key possessions. And and that's once you earn the trust of your head coach that, that he can put you out there and he knows you're going to battle and compete and and, and uh, understand the importance of defending well, then you get a little more consistency. And, and I think at, at the same time, you look at uh, the, the game against South Dakota State when Andrew Morgan and Grant Nelson combined for 41 and uh, 21, I think. Um, those are those are impressive numbers from those two guys, and, and that shows what they're capable of doing. And then, you know, the two nights later against USD, Morgan maybe wasn't uh, playing at the level he did against South Dakota State, but he had a lot of different a lot of different guys picking up the slack. So they're certain they're certainly playing with a higher level of confidence. And it's funny, you guys, it's uh, it's how much the tides change within a game. Uh, NDSU looked impressive early. Then I'd say maybe the last eight minutes of the first half, USD just kicked their tail. I think they went in, USD scored on their last six possessions, and NDSU was over on their last five possessions. And I know Dave Richmond wasn't happy, but then they come out, you know, uh, playing, playing inspired basketball, put it that way. And I thought put, put, probably put their best 20 minutes of basketball together in that second half at home against USD. I mean, back to being number one in the conference in terms of opponents point per game. I mean, yeah. that, that that tells you two things. One, they're back to playing pretty solid defense. Mm-hmm. Two, they're playing at the pace that they want to play at. Uh, it's kind of a combination of those two things. That's, a, I mean, they're not going to get, they're not going to win track meets, but they can win a game in the fifties, maybe even in the sixties. And um, I, I, they're they have the formula. They're having the rotation. I think you're right. Jakari White coming along. He's that um, skill set was definitely needed out there. Um, uh, did, is is Tejavis hurt? Did he get hurt? Yeah, uh, he missed the last couple. Yeah, he's yeah. dealing with some back spasm. I did had a chance to visit with him before the game, and I said, "Is this something that you kind of dealt with throughout your career?" He goes, "Yeah, you know, on occasion." So hopefully, he can kind of get through that. And uh, he he had probably earned the most confidence prior, you know, to going to the bench. I think, um, but. His, I think if he if he's healthy, I think he he provides good additional depth to what they're trying to do on the perimeter. Yeah, I mean, because um, they're basically down to kind of playing five guys right now, um, and just kind of limping along until he comes back. But you know, I mean, they, they got things figured out. You know, I mean, is their ceiling high enough? Uh, we'll see. But yeah. they, they definitely raised their floor. I think that's probably how I would characterize it, especially with their ability to 
just really work through their posts. And, you know, like, like we said, I mean, nobody's really going to be able to match up with their posts and, and obviously Grant Nelson, um, you know, I really feel like he has another gear. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, obviously we, we saw the, the two huge dunks, but I feel like there's more there. And I feel like the better Grant Nelson is, the better everyone else on the team is going to play. Or I should say the more productive he is, the more aggressive he is, because the more defense he's going to draw. And so, I mean, I, I like what they've, they figured it out just in the nick of time. And, uh, you know, like, like we talked about, being a top six seed is so important and they're definitely back on track for that. Well, and he's, I, when you talk about Grant, it's starting to feel like the Grant we were hoping to see from the very beginning of the season. And he, He's been no slouch. I mean, he's sixth in scoring and second in rebounding in the conference, but I could easily see him finishing top two in both by the end sure. of the season. It just feels like it's different the last few games. Sure. It just it feels like it just comes down to opportunities. Yeah. Yep. And then Andrew Morgan was in the doghouse, what, four or five games ago, and now seems to be that di- that dynamic duo inside is, is starting to look pretty darn good. And hard to stop because there's not much – Many teams in the league that have the uh, the uh, big guys to stop them. Yeah, I mean, I can vouch for the fact that you know, out of any player on the court, one good post player is something that you can scheme for, but two really puts you in a difficult situation. Not only defensively, but like you just get killed on the boards rebounding wise if you focus too much on one post and. You know, Andrew Morgan, eight offensive rebounds against South Dakota State, right? That's the type of thing that happens if you start giving a little bit too much attention to Grant Nelson and he misses a couple and they come off on the opposite side and there awaits Andrew Morgan to clean it up. So, um, and then, you know, obviously guards are going to have nothing but open shots. So they start knocking some down. They put a lot of pressure on defenses. They play at a slower pace and they play a more efficient brand of basketball. Couple that with their defense and, you know they're they're going to be uh, they're they're going to be dangerous. I, I agree, and they they still have a lot of room for growth, in my opinion. I I do think Andrew Morgan, if he can get more and more consistent, we've seen what he can do on his best nights. We've also seen the, the nights where coach might not be too happy with his production, and if he can get to a more consistent level, you know, be that that thirteen and seven guy, uh, that that's fantastic uh, for North Dakota State. And so. Uh, yeah, it, it's still going to come down to the growth of their perimeters and, and the confidence and, you know, who, who do you put, whose hands do you put the ball in with the game on the line besides Grant Nelson? Cause he's still the guy that's probably going to get it most of the time. So yeah, they, they've got, they've still got room for growth. They're starting to gain some confidence and, um, and they're gonna, Hey, they're, they need it because they're going to go on a tough road trip, even though regardless of what the records are, the Denver Omaha trip is never easy. Mm-hmm. So, so I know this isn't what Zach meant when he said it, but he said when there's only there's one good post player you can scheme for it. I admit, imagine him saying that when it was just Zach Dosh they had to scheme for, then they then they could scheme for it. But uh, I mean, I mean, imagine going up against the Southwest Mustangs and they just <laughs> would just triple team me every single game. I got tripled <laughs> every time I played against Greg. That's, At least that's that, how I remember it now. Anyway, I'm pretty sure there's no more camera footage of that. So, <laughs> no, that's that's exactly what we did. We ran three bodies at him all the time. Right. I mean, there's <laughs> there's a VH, VHS tape somewhere, isn't there? That's right. Yeah. Oh, boy, Greg had a lot of big, strong guys on his team. <laughs> just come out of there, just all beat up. 
so I looked up the Ken Palm um, offensive and defensive ratings, and I, I just wanted to point out a couple anomalies. We maybe don't even have to, have to hit on them too too hard and can move on to other things. But one odd, and this is conference-only ranks, the number nine offensive efficiency team is South Dakota State, which I thought we would never see. Um, number 10 is North Dakota, which I, I don't know that that is as surprising. But South Dakota State, ninth in offensive efficiency, third in uh, defensive efficiency. And uh, just as you look, both the interesting thing about these these rankings, if you look at the offense, you got Denver and North Dakota as two of the three bottom teams in offense of efficiency and two of the teams that are at the bottom of the league. So sometimes these metrics, and maybe I'll post them on Twitter, but the, the metrics do tend to to give you at least a little bit of a window into to where teams might be. Yeah, I think, you know, like, and you, you said it, that's exactly what I was going to say. I mean, probably a little early in the year to be yeah. relying on stats a little bit too much. Um, you know, UND isn't that bad defensively. They're certainly better defensively than they are offensively and probably the same, you know, even for NDSU at this point and stuff. And so to be able to go on the road and play those two games at that at that pace, you know, um, probably factors in that a little bit. I we're going to see a little regression to the mean, no doubt about it. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And, and it's and, and but but when you find those common denominators, it's it, it's interesting to watch how they play out over the course of the season. You know, when you we talk about UND, we just got to talk about NDSU. I mean, what UND is what? Two possessions away from feeling like NDSU does right now. And, and <laughs> right. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. It's you, know, you, you have to turn that tide somehow, some way. But. Yeah, darn it. Those are those are a couple of gut punch losses. I, you know, the Perro Hunt turnaround on Thursday, and and then the um, the foul call against Arians, and, and they lose by one. Those are those are tough. And, and Paul Sather's got to be believing that his guys are right there, and they have to be believing that as well. And they just got to find a way to get one, and then see see if they can build on that. Yeah, I mean, a couple of ways you can look at the start for South Dakota State. You know, like. Against UND, they shot 38%, only made six threes, and still found a way to win. And that's because they were they, they forced a ton of turnovers and were really good defensively. So they're always going to have that. I, I believe that they're going to be a solid defensive team pretty much all year long. Um, but yeah, I mean, back to UND, you know, I I, I don't know what to say. I, I'm just kind of at a loss for like. I've never seen a program have this much, and I don't know if you want to call it bad luck or whatever it is. And, and yeah, of course you, you do create your own luck. And the, the disclaimer that I'll put here is that it's not like UND played great in either game. Like they probably didn't exactly deserve to win either game, but at the same time to have them have both those games come down to that last possession like that for a team that absolutely needed something to go right like any just little thing to go right like one out of 1000 things to go right and you get the feeling that there could be a little you know a, a spark right similar to kind of like what south dakota had the weekend before you know they they're coming in uh needing something to go right a lot of stuff happening off the court this and that just and they, they come in and shoot a good percentage from three one game it can happen and those things happen and teams need those things every now and then just to remind themselves that, hey, we are a good team and we deserve to win some of these games. And you're right, man. If this was throwing horseshoes, you and you would be looking great right now. But 
I mean, like I told you guys, the last thing I want to do is talk about officiating. This isn't like a pro UND rant. This right. is just, I hate talking about, I, I wish, honestly, I would rather UND just, and not that I, I have a rooting interest or anything like that, but I'd rather teams just miss shots and the game be done than to have to talk about officiating. In the South Dakota game, the first 35 minutes was rough. Like it wasn't, it was not necessarily a pretty game. The last five minutes were actually pretty good. It was pretty good both ways, defensively, mm-hmm. offensively, both these teams. A lot of execution down the stretch. You know, last three possessions go nice drawn up play for BJ Omot, scoring over Paul Bruns in the post. Uh, then going back the other way, a nice drawn up play for South Dakota, giving getting Cruz Perahan to post up, which he's he's really good at, by the way. Really? I don't give him enough credit for that. Yeah. And then coming on, so then he hits the shot with uh, it was one one point two or something like that left. Jason Eaglesaf gets a catch and gets absolutely hammered by Mason Archambault. And I I I really do try to stay away from commenting on officiating <laughs> live on air, but. I had like the perfect angle for it. And I was just like, Oh my goodness, he was hammered. And, yeah. uh, cause it was, it was that obvious. And normally if I see something, I'll at least wait for the review because things can be very deceiving. Like you can, things can look like a foul. And if you have a bad angle on them, it, it, it can, it can mislead you. I have the perfect angle on that. We said it. Oh my gosh. And the restaurant off and, you know, <laughs> coach, coach Taylor was pissed rightfully. So, the conference called him uh, next day. Yep, sorry, we blew it. And it's just like, well, great. Go go tell my go go tell my AD that that yeah. you know we should be at the free throw line shooting three free throws down too. Next night, you know. No wait, Zach. On that one, there were there were like five people on Twitter all wearing red um, that said there was no contact there. <laughs> well, Mason Archambault said there was. <laughs> like like the guy that actually followed him said he followed him. so like i don't i mean like you can watch you can watch whatever you want or you can talk to the guy that actually did the following so i mean yeah i I mean yeah yeah whatever but um it and then and then the next night man they again und went through a stretch in the second half where they were really bad like really bad they they went through it was about like a i want to say like a like a five to eight minute stretch where it was nothing but like turnovers and contested jump shots, which might as well be turnovers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's how South Dakota erased the, the deficit just like that. Like it wasn't methodically. They, you know, UND actually came out okay in the second half, then went on this huge cold streak where they were just, just awful, really offensively. And South Dakota State erased it like that which is what champions do, which is what good culture does, which is what a winning winning mindset does. They found a way. They got back to the basics, got their stops, forced turnovers. UND went from having five turnovers against South Dakota to, to 18 against South Dakota. And it felt like all 18 happened in that uh, eight-minute stretch. So UND's dead in the water. South Dakota has about a five-to-eight-point lead, and you're just like, okay, well, this, this is over. Just a total trap. And then UND actually finds their way back into the game. Um, Matt Norman drives fouls only makes one of two. So they only have a one point lead now. And then they come back the other way and they do a good job. And this is why, this is why it stuck out to me so much that Max Aceman's got that shot 
because UND did the exact opposite. Obviously, Zeke Mayo is trying to get that ball. Like South Dakota right. State's trying to get that ball to Zeke Mayo, and UND did a great job forcing the ball away from him into uh, Alexarian's hands, um, and uh, which is exactly what they wanted. He's not in that situation. He's that's not why he's on the floor. It's not what he's good for, and he. But he's realizing he has to try to do something with it, right? And you know, two defenders are sitting there in legal guarding position, and he basically just jumps into him. He's not trying to shoot it. He's not really trying to go anywhere or do anything. Elbows one defender in the face. And it, in my opinion, it was, you know, I don't, I don't like that call where if you're trying to move as an offensive player and you accidentally catch somebody in the, in the chops, that it's a flagrant foul. Like, I don't love that because it can happen unintentionally a lot. So I'm, I don't, I understand that not being called a, a flagrant foul, even though a lot of them do get called flagrant he's Brady Danielson sitting there in legal guarding position just gets barreled over. And the thing is, is like Alex Arians is going nowhere. He's like, I have no idea what he's trying. He's, he's basically just trying to panic and just do something. Cause the, the clock's about to run out and they're about to lose and they get bailed out with another call. And so, I mean, in, in, and so UND loses another one. So um, that's, that's at least the third, if not the fourth game this year for UND, who's lost a call on a lost a game on a blown call. It's funny. So right after I was watching that game, so I, I didn't call the game. I, my daughter had a second grade tournament, so I stayed back for, for the South Dakota State game. Um, right after that game was that, that Seattle-UND game. And that, that was the one where Seattle knocked the ball out of bounds, straight out of bounds, not, not even close to like really a, a controversial call. And with like whatever, it was like seven seconds left. And both Brian and I were just like, well, it looks like UND will have the ball here. And, and you know, away we go. And then they give it to Seattle, and then they – they miss the shot, but get the offensive rebound, knock it in. So I don't know. It just, I, I just feel awful for UND. Um, but the, the long and short of it is they can play much better. They need to play much better period. And if, even if they play okay, none, neither one of those games come down to that last play and they're sitting at six in the conference, like despite everything, not even playing great, you'd still be at six in the conference. And despite not playing as many games as the other teams. So, I mean, I don't know, kind of two ways to look at it. You know, on one hand, you could be like down in the dumps. On the other hand, you could be like, man, we're right there. And we're, we only have, we can only get better. So I don't know. Tough deal up there. And some of that, Zach, I think goes to after Oral Roberts, it's, I still think it's kind of a mash of teams. Yeah. On on a given night. And, and so, Now the the metrics point that out too though the worst uh, offense in the in conference is North Dakota the worst defense is Denver mm-hmm. two worst teams in the league right now but mm-hmm. if I'm those fan bases I'm also going yeah we are where we are right now but if this happens different if this happens different I it there's still a lot of time left we're not even a third of the way through the conference so. Yeah, still that, a lot. That's, for that's the tempting thing. You know what I mean? It is just right there for the taking. It's not like they're just running up against teams that they're just totally outclassed against. You know what I mean? And Denver, too. It's interesting. So, Denver, their average margin is like minus 12. Yeah. And that's with a win. Yeah. And UND's yeah. is like, like seven and a half, eight, something like that. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't yeah. know. I mean, it's just, you know, it, hey, nobody's going to feel sorry for them. Nobody's going to come save them. So, it's just on not panicking and just getting 1% better for, for yeah. both of us. Really, yeah. 
and both teams have so much more upside than they had last year. And and it's yeah. and I think there's room for growth. And I think the rest of the league is not as good as it was last year. So yeah, mm-hmm. they, they've got to find a way to gut it out. They've got to find a way to get on get on a, a little bit of a roll, you know, find a way to get one and then find a way to, to back that up with a second win. And, and then all of a sudden things will start clicking. I, I'll go back to your point, Todd. Right now, I think it is ORU. Um, the way Kansas City played them, they, they seem like a scary team to me. And, um, and uh, they were impressive, you know, in their home win against USD as well. I know USD was short. Who were they missing that game? After? Might have been Peril Hunt. Um, yeah. But still... Um, you know, they, they've had some impressive wins, but I, I do. I think it's going to be all about who matches up with who. And, and St. Thomas showing that they're still they're going to they'll they'll be a factor. And they're going to be tough to beat at their place. There's no question about that. Well, one thing I'll say about Denver, I, you know, one in foreign conference, the, the margin speaks for itself to some extent. These last two games against St. Thomas and Western Illinois. Oh, they were bad defensively. They, they, I was at the St. Thomas game, and and St. Thomas is a very efficient offense. I, I'm not trying to take anything away from them, but there are a lot of open looks. And, you know, then Denver late second half kind of put a little bit different effort in and closed the gap and ended up losing by nine. It, they got it closer than that. But it just you, – you can't – it wasn't – I wasn't shocked at all that they're 10th in conference play and defensive efficiency. It was that they've got to figure out that end. And and Tevin Smith, it still doesn't look a hundred percent. He doesn't look like the same players last year right now. Um, so they've got some things that they, they need. They need him to get fully healthy and things like that, but you can't defend like that and, and win conference games. It just doesn't happen yeah. for Tevin Smith. I think anytime somebody, whether it sprains an ankle or tweaks a knee or does whatever in the middle of the season, like you never get fully healthy until after the season when you the only way that you can get healthy is rest. And in the season, you're constantly walking that fine line between, okay, I need to practice a little bit. I need to maintain my conditioning, but I also need to rest. And so there's that constant trade off. And so it doesn't surprise me that he's not going to be healthy. He's probably not going to be fully healthy till the after the, after the season where you can just shut it down for a little bit. So, but you're right. They they've, They've gotten um, the game's gotten out of hand for them in the first half. Both games, they they got away from them. Not great defensively and turnovers. I, they had 22 turnovers at Western Illinois. Yeah, um, I know it was a lot in the first half. A lot of steals. Yeah, oh. and 22. Man, I thought 18 for UND was. It felt like 180 instead of 18 for UND. So I, I mean, 22 for um Denver at Western Illinois who's a solid defensive team but I mean obviously the stats say now that they're, they're obviously fantastic forcing turnovers and stuff like that but a lot of that is skewed from that Denver game <laughs> right and, yeah and so I mean it's it, uh yeah I you know hope it's not a trend for Denver um there was a lot of things that we liked to see um but it, it really bad weekend no doubt no way around it yeah yeah, that's one of the things I think we all thought Denver would kind of build around is their effort on the defensive end. You know, we, we, that's the thing we were probably all most impressed with last year was the their effort and the fact that you really had to work to 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 get points against them. And and it, it that happens when you have a lot of turnover, things like that. It, it might take a while for for guys to buy into what it is you're trying to get them to get them to accomplish. But um, if they're gonna 
they're going to make some strides. They've got to get things together on that end of the floor. Otherwise, it'll be just like what happened this weekend. You have no chance to win on the road if you right. can't defend effectively. Well, yeah, and I'm not saying this competitive. Is... Those games weren't as competitive as their final score nope. uh, led, led us to believe. Well, and I'm not saying this is happening in Denver, but I do think this happened last year with Western Illinois. It's all, it'll, it'll be fascinating to watch because when you bring in a core of your starters are, are transfers, mm-hmm. they haven't spent a lot of time in the, the room with their, the other players. And I'm always fascinated to watch what happens when it starts to go a little bit sideways for them. When it went sideways for Western Illinois last year, it went real sideways. And, and I'm not saying this is what happened, but I, it's, I think it's a decent conclusion to go to for Western Illinois like there's just a lot of players that didn't have investment into that program. And so then when it started to go sideways, they just kind of did their own thing. And so it's a, it's just another tricky part of college basketball right now. Very fair point. All right. Um, let's go on to St. Thomas. Uh, they are on, I think nine in a row at home at this point and have not lost in the summit league four and at home and own two on the road. Uh, they're, they're at least in conversation for the second best team, aren't they? Sure. Sure. I mean, they're in second place now, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure they are. I think four and two. Yeah. I mean, they're giving me big time, uh, South Dakota state vibes from last year where like, you feel like they're playing the same game over and over again. And <laughs> despite playing different opponents, you know, right. which is like the ultimate goal for coaches, right? <laughs> you know, they, they don't want a ton of variability. Um, they want to play the game on their terms. And that's what, that's what St. Thomas does. Their freshmen are really getting going, man. Blue is really playing good. Yeah, he is. And, uh, Johnny Lee's, he's big dunk. He's, he's more in the rotation now. And, um, things only seem to be getting better for them. Yeah, I agree. I, and, and then you throw Rody in the mix too. I mean, I, I don't know that he's not the, the leading candidate for freshman of the year in the league as impressive as he's been. Um, but you know, to your point, you know, every coach says we're going to worry about ourselves. We're going to worry about ourselves. We're going to worry about ourselves. Well, St. Thomas does a pre- pretty good job of taking care of themselves because to what you, but you guys have both alluded to, uh, they play their game and, and they know what they want to accomplish on both ends of the floor. And, uh, the more that they can get experience for some of those younger, bigger bodies, I think that helps them. And, um, I think. From their standpoint, the more they gain confidence at home, the more that's going to translate to more success on the road, too. So, yeah, to, to that end, St. Thomas is continuing to earn the respect of, of everybody in the league. And I think uh, everybody in the league has a high level of respect for them. And, and they're going to, you know, they're going to be in the conference tournament this year. You know, they can't go to the NCAA tournament. They're going to be in the conference tournament this year. And they've got a team that uh, they've got a, the type of team that in this year's Summit League, could be a really frustrating team to play against uh, when you get to Sioux Falls. Well, and Greg, you brought up this point about St. Thomas a few times this year. I just wanted to point out from Thursday and Saturday, nine turnovers, both games. Yeah. They just don't turn the ball over. They get shots every time down the floor. And when you can shoot the ball as well as they do, there's something to be said for making sure you get a shot up almost every time you get down the floor. And that has to be fun to only have to worry about yourself. Yeah, I don't know what that's like. I don't think I've ever really been in that situation, but when it happens, man, that's got to be fun. Yeah, yeah, and 
to the point of St. Thomas going to the Summit League tournament, certainly a uh, fan base within driving distance of Sioux Falls. Without so question. hopefully there's there's a lot of purple there, and it becomes a tradition for uh, St. Thomas fans to make that trek to Sioux Falls. Um, it kind of is your Super Bowl this year. It won't be forever, but is for the next few years. So it'd be great to see a bunch of Tommy fans there. All right, South Dakota schools. We've hit on them a little bit, but I wanted to kind of go back to South Dakota State and, and South Dakota. Um, one a piece of news heard by a pretty reliable source that that Coach Peterson will be back soon, maybe even by by Thursday, um, back on the bench, um, doing better, healing up. Um, so I don't know that for sure, but but it does I, sound like like he's he's back real soon, which so great news there. It is great news, and. and- well, also credit Coach Eberhart for stepping into a difficult yeah. situation, but I, I do have it on pretty good authority that that Coach Peterson has been able to come in in person and observe some practices, things like that. I have it on fairly decent authority that he was able to communicate with the players on the bus before they hit the latest road trip. So that that is great news. Thanks for bringing that up. We, we everybody wants him back, and and he's going to be a very welcome sight on the sidelines for the rest of the season. Absolutely. Yeah, they were really able to weather the storm, get some key wins, keep mm-hmm. you know, kind of keep their head above water, and who knows, he could be a big emotional lift and um, really kind of get them to take it to the next level. One other South Dakota thing I wanted to bring up, and I had mentioned this last week, and we talked about Cruz Peril Hunt a little bit, so I guess I don't want to spend all sorts of time on him, but another just huge game uh, against North Dakota State and big shots against North Dakota. He's really starting to, to me, to be one of those players that, is, you know, probably edging towards first team and just one of the top five players in the league. To go back to your question that you asked, you know, is he in the same category as Masner and some of the other guys? And I mean, they we're kind of texting about this, but I, I think he, I think he is. I think he is at this point. Um, it's It's surprising to me how much the offense runs through him when he's on a team with Mason Archambault and AJ Plitzelite, things like that. But you, you can't deny it. He's, he's leading the league in three point uh, field goal percentage now too. So he's just extremely efficient scores really on all three levels. Um, not going to wow anybody with his athleticism, but uses his body so well, gets to wherever he wants on the court. And, and, um, He's he is a really fun player to watch. I got a lot of respect for a guy like that who, you know, um you can tell he had to earn it the hard way. You know what I mean? He's not an athletic freak like some of these other guys and but uh so it's not it's not a coincidence that he is this good of a player. You can really tell he's put a lot of time in the in the gym with his game. I agree. Uh very impressive to watch. I mean, he was he was the not only the facilitate the facilitator, but the producer, you know, when they put that, they kind of gapped NDSU heading into halftime and he was a big reason why uh, impressive kid. And so physical, uh, you talked about it earlier, his ability to go in and post up probably as well as any, anybody in the league actually was kind of fun watching both Scunberg and him going back and forth. Cause they both are comfortable saying, you know what, get, get it to me on the block. I'll, I'll score against whoever's guarding me. And uh, those are two physical, hard-nosed players, but Peril Hunt, uh, his game 
all over the floor. I mean, his ability to knock down the three, he can put it on the deck, he can create, he can finish at the rim because he is tough and strong, and he can back anybody down or get a catch in the post and, and score. So, yeah, I think he certainly belongs in that conversation with, with uh, you know, who are some of the top players in the league. One other thing on uh, South Dakota State that I wanted to just get your guys' thoughts on. We've got Zeke Mayo, and he's right in there. If we want to talk Cruz Perahont, I think Zeke Mayo is right in that same group of players. Is the Now, and this is my perspective. Maybe you guys see this a little bit differently, but there's not that number two guy in from my perspective that we've seen on other um, South Dakota State teams. Is that an overall problem for maybe not their floor? I think their floor is pretty set just by the culture and the, a bunch of winners in that room. But is that a little bit of a problem to their ceiling? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I I, I guess when I looked at them coming in this year and, you know, they've been playing without Easley and, and you probably know more. I have no idea what's going to happen with Apple. I, I don't even know if he'll be back. But the way he was playing at the end of last season, you know, you talk about Andrew Morgan. Um, and, and what he's doing in North Dakota State, I thought what the way Luke Apple was playing at the end of last year was uh, was a true legit back to the basket back to the basket, you know, low post threat, and then was continuing to develop his you know his ability to shoot from the perimeter. I thought he was would would have been a, a great number two, but they don't have it right now, and 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 playing without Easley has hurt their depth a little bit, and because I, I do think Easley he's not a huge scorer, but I just think he's a great guy to have on the floor that you know i think he means probably as much to sdsu as Archambault means to uh, usd they may not show up in the box score all the time but they're just invaluable guys to have on the floor so um yeah to your question i, I do think it hurts because on any given night they really don't know who that that second guy is going to be and right now a lot of it probably becomes a, depends on matchups dentlinger can score on the block and you know do, do they need uh, other people to, to step up in other ways they just don't have the as many weapons, and I thought they'd be able to be able to overcome it a little bit more effectively. But when you take Wilson and Shireman out of there, yeah, they are missing some scoring punch behind Mayo. I think, you know, it becomes an issue less the better Zeke Mayo plays. The you can tell like the way that they're set up is they all have clearly defined roles when they're out there. And there's really only one creator, and that's Zeke Mayo. And obviously, it's a whole different beat. He's a shooting guard. Um, but clearly, down the stretching games in the second half, you know, they, they kind of move him into more of the point guard role or the facilitator role. And when that's the case, and he's in attack mode and making good decisions or whatever, um, they're fine. Um, before he really kind of got comfortable with this role, I think is where you saw them, you know, scoring in the 50s and 60s. Um, but now that they have him out there in this role, I think they've kind of figured out something that's good enough for them offensively to go with their good defense. Uh, and the other thing I really want to point out about Zeke Mayo is, man, is he good defensively? That is really the one thing that kind of stands out to me amongst some of these other players in that top group is I think he's a really, really good defender, uh, really active, really good in the passing lanes, really good even off the ball. Um, I just the more I watch him, the more I like him. He's just he's really taking it to the next level. And Zach, I like the way you said that. I said number two scorer, um, and Greg had mentioned you you get certain players at South Dakota State in the right spot. Detlinger can certainly score. Arians can certainly score. Mim's a great shooter, um, but I, the concern is the lack of another creator. I like that word creator. That's that's the part that I think is tricky for South Dakota State. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just kind of how they're structured to have that creator. And then a bunch of guys who know how to play off of that, but they didn't have the creator for a little while. And now that he's kind of getting more comfortable in that role, I think, I think they're going to be okay. And I think they're going to be probably even a little bit better in a month. Yeah. Um, all right. We're at 52 minutes for the week and we haven't talked uh, Omaha and Western Illinois, but I think what we'll do Omaha and Western Illinois fans will, will start next week chatting about, about your teams um, and maybe go a little deeper than we typically do on those two teams. Um, but eight minutes probably isn't a ton of time to go into those two teams, but I would like to just mention what we've got coming up and just see if there are any um, matchups that the two of you are excited to see um, are intriguing, different things like that. You've got Kansas city and St. Thomas on Thursday, Oral Roberts, Western Illinois, Omaha, North Dakota, and then Denver at our Denver, North Dakota state, Denver, Omaha, Oral Roberts, and Kansas city are the, home teams. I will start and say Kansas City, St. Thomas with St. Thomas on the road playing that tough defense is the most intriguing matchup on Thursday for me. Completely agree. When you said that, that I thought about that right away. Who handles the the manner in which the opposing team plays better, more effectively? Can Kansas City stay disciplined defensively against a really efficient offense? Can they you know, can, can they stay true to their principles for the entirety of the shot clock if that's what it takes? Uh, and then can uh, can St. Thomas handle the length of Kansas City and and the physicality and maturity of their perimeter players? Uh, I think that that's the that's the matchup that really jumped out at me. Yeah, well, this isn't any fun. I agree with you guys. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what? No, but you're 100 percent right. That's that's. Is going to be a fascinating game for the same reason that Oral Roberts Kansas City game was fascinating. Yeah, yeah, and then and then Saturday, and, and I agree. I mean, I just it's it's such an intriguing matchup. And right now, again, I, I talk power rankings, and there's twenty as many as fifteen people that vote. So I'm just one person, but I would have those two teams as two, three, maybe South Dakota State in there. And so it's just I think it helps us separate a little bit mm-hmm. where teams might be. Um, then on Saturday, you've got Omaha at home against North Dakota State, Denver at home against North Dakota, and then the, the South Dakota-South Dakota State matchup in South Dakota, and then Oral Roberts, St. Thomas going to Oral Roberts, and Kansas City at home against Western Illinois. Uh, again, for some of the same reasons, I would say South Dakota-South Dakota State, as we're trying to separate where teams are at, is the most intriguing matchup for me of those matchups. I, I think uh, I'll go NDSU at Omaha because, okay. because I mean, if, if NDSU is able to get Denver and they, I mean that, that Omaha team, I know we didn't talk about a lot on this uh, uh, podcast, but they've been running more zone. And my guess is they're going to throw a healthy dose of that at NDSU. And mm-hmm. if NDSU can handle that zone and get that win, they're just that much closer to being legitimate. I mean, they're, they're going to be, you know, I, I guess two, three games over 500 at that point. And so, I mean, it's certainly a gettable game, but Oral Roberts, or I mean, uh, uh, Omaha has proved to just be a very difficult team. So I'm, I'm curious to watch NDSU against that zone. Well, you guys stole my two. And so, um, God darn it. I'll, I'll, 
I'll just go back. I'll just see if St. Thomas can can they go in and can they frustrate ORU? Can they uh, can they find a way to 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 be difficult to guard? I don't know what they're gonna what kind of an answer they're gonna have for for ORU on the interior, but we'll see. Well, you know, can can they uh, be disciplined enough? And then can they find a way to stay in front of Acemas? Nobody in the league has yet to find a way to do that, but uh, it'll be a challenge for St. Thomas. I mean, St. Thomas, we talked about it playing well right now, but they're going on the road to two difficult places to play. Yeah. Yeah, and and you if if St. Thomas gets swept on the road again, like I just can't. They're just then it's just a big group of teams. <laughs> yeah. After R. Roberts, like it, St. Thomas has looked so good at home and has not won in conference on the road in only two games. But they, like you said, Greg, it's a tough trip. Kansas City, a really tough matchup for them, and Oral Roberts, at least right now, is clearly the best team in the league. So they, they, you know, to get swept again. They, it's a big weekend for them on the road, and I, I think it's a big weekend for Denver at home in the altitude where they should have an advantage. They, they, they're in need of maybe more than any other team of a home sweep. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean that that UND Denver game. I mean I, the reality is is every game is interesting to me. I always have a hard time with these questions. Like I, I can find something that I think is very interesting about every single game, and even yeah. that UND Denver game, man. I mean. You got two teams with their back against the wall, feeling the season starting to slip away. I mean, that's usually where you start to see some pretty cool things happen. Uh, it's just a question of which which team makes those things happen. Yeah. Yeah, just an- another week that's going to separate things out for us. Yeah, we'll we'll figure out if we have tiers or not, basically. Yeah, yeah. Right now, I st- we're down to two tiers. I thought there were three, but now I'm down to two. Yeah, T I E R S and T E A R S. Yeah, yeah, a little of both maybe. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let me, let, let me let me ask you this, guys, before we go. Do you do you think Coach Henderson would love to only have to beat NDSU to claim a mythical national championship? Wouldn't that be pretty handy for him? No. Oh, talking about the football game. Yeah, yeah. Probably Wouldn't that be, be nice? It probably would to be. be. We don't have to beat Duke. Let's just beat NDSU for a national championship. Oh, national champions. There we go. I, I think I think they would they wouldn't mind that at all. Who knows? Zach, we may not be that many years away from some sort of basketball, although the tournament would be way less exciting in March if we tiered up um, yeah. division one that, basketball. That's the moneymaker. I don't know yeah, if they're gonna is. touch the moneymaker, but yeah, they're, they're not touching that. There might be 185 teams in 10 years, but <laughs> But uh, I'll still watch. Um, All right. Well, we'll, we're going to start separating things out. We're going to start to see where teams are at. Uh, It'll be be a fascinating week of basketball like like it usually is. Uh, We are working on some player interviews, hopefully setting up this week. Also looking like we will – we're going to try to do a Twitter Spaces on Tuesday um, with some of our writers that, that help out on the website. Um, so those of you that enjoy the podcast and have listened by Tuesday, we we will have that out on on Twitter as well. Uh, just as another time, we'll talk some matchups and what we think are going to happen in the matchups in the un- upcoming week. Um, but until next time, we'll we'll uh, we'll see you next week. Sounds good, guys. Have a great week.